I was watching some videos that were funny, and this person was looking at their cell phone walking along, and they ran into a, a, a pole on the street, the power pole, just bang, rang right into it while they were reading their phone. And I thought, wow, that's funny. <laughs> and I have a friend that has found, I don't know, dozens of arrowheads hunting. Now, I hunt mostly over in the Steens Mountains, and there's lots there, but I have never yet found one. And I asked him one time, I said, how come you find so many? Well, I watched him. He doesn't, I don't know how he ever sees a deer. He just walks with his head down, just looking at where he's walking and looking for arrowheads the whole time he's hunting. I got my head up looking for deer. So I never see, you know, he has his head down. So I, I live now, I walk around all the time with my head up like this looking. I expect to get raptured any minute. So I don't want to get by surprised by it. I'm, I'm paying attention any second so I could run into stuff equally as the guy with the cell phone. And so you're either looking down, looking at your cell phone, looking at whatever. And so I'm just thinking all the time, the day is the day, the day is the day. I know it's coming any, any minute now. Now one of the characteristics of the rapture as you study church history and read the Bible was the fact that it could be, it was imminent any moment. Early, the early church fathers taught, hey, Jesus is coming in our lifetime for sure. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, he's coming. And so it's the best proof that we're not going through the tribulation because the tribulation is very detailed. It starts out with seven sealed judgments. Each one is described. The tribulation begins officially with the document being signed where everybody's at peace with Israel. That's going to be pretty easy to see. And it's going to be in the middle, of the, the, it's going to be broken, the treaty, uh, by the Antichrist, and there's going to be a temple rebuilt in Israel. Uh, there isn't a temple there now, but during the tribulation, there's going to be the temple. So the, the imminency of the rapture isn't possible if we go through the tribulation. Because once you get in the tribulation, I mean, it's, it's detailed. You know right where you're at. You know when you're two years into it. You, knew, you know when you're halfway through it. So if we're going through the tribulation, it's like, oh boy, we only got three years to go. Cool, let's make it. We can do it. And, uh, and, and, but just for kicks, let's pretend like we're going to go through it. All right? Just like going to Disneyland. <laughs> so let me read some. Revelation chapter 6, verse 7. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, now we're jumping into this way, uh, it's, there's seven seal judgments, there's seven trumpet judgments, and then there's seven bowls. And so uh, the seals are first, and so the Lamb broke the fourth seal. We've already done the first three, so I, I don't want to take all day, so we're just going to pick and choose here on some of them. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the de name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him, to them, over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. Now, do you think there's going to be a shutdown? Or is everybody going to be wearing masks? There's pestilence. I don't know what good that's going to do against the wild beast. That's going to be interesting. Wild beasts are going to be running around eating people. There's going to be war, the sword, famine, no food, and pestilence, disease breaking out every... And one quarter of the population of the world gets killed in pretty short order. So we're in the tribulation. 
and you, and, you, and you turn on the news, 16 people get eaten by a tiger. Oh, there's a bunch of skirmishes over here and people are shooting each other. And a new disease breaks out. I'll just skip the mask. <laughs> Who cares? We got all this other stuff going on. And then you got famine, no food. A stick of margarine costs $22. And moving on, I looked when he broke the sixth seal. By the way, that fourth one will probably be about two years into the tribulation. About two years into it, five years to go. Uh, chapter 6, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, probably from the dust. Earthquake creates this huge dust storm all over the earth, and the sun uh, becomes black as sackcloth, and the whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as, as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart. Now, this is really interesting. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. That's a big earthquake. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and uh, Governor Kate Brown and, and, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains, to the rocks, fall on us. So do you know what's going to right during this time is that people are going to try to commit suicide and they're going to be in God he's going to prevent it from happening can't commit suicide they're going to say fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the God the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand so if you're in the tribulation two things will mark the middle you're going seven years three and a half years one of them is the antichrist goes into the temple breaks the treaty and says I'm God you all worship me and the second thing is, is that there's going to be this supernatural event that occurs in the sky. The sky rolls back like a scroll, and everybody on the planet Earth will be able to see Jesus on his throne. Everybody will know exactly why the things that are happening are happening. They will not blame it on government. They won't blame it on global warming. They will know what the, re what the reason is. That will be at the halfway point. It says right there, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. From the presence of him they can all see him this is exactly at the halfway point when this happens so you're in the tribulation uh oh the antichrist moved into the temple broke the treaty telling everybody he has to worship him as god and uh oh the skies open up there's jesus up there look at him whoo three more three and a half more years to go move into chapter eight the trumpets the first sounded there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up. We had a bad, bad time last year with forest fires. That's nothing compared to this one. third of the earth was burned up. The third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up. Second angel sounded. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the creatures which were in the sea had, and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. That's the second of the seven trumpets the third angel sounded a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the, the star is called wormwood and and a third of the waters became wormwood and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter the, the waters basically have this incredible pollution problem and people die from drinking the water the fourth angel sounded 
that's a trumpet sound, a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it, the night in the same way. And uh, that's going to be a difficult time. But if you're living during this time, you can say, oh, okay, that's the fourth trumpet. Oh, we're, we're into the second half. Then I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, whoa, 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet and the three angels who are about to sound. Three more trumpets and then comes the seven bowls and those are really bad. Um, that's not going to be a great time to live, but we're pretending. Number one in your notes, believers will be raptured before the tribulation. Just uh, give you that assurance. And if you for, weren't in this class when I gave 10 reasons uh, with Scripture, you ought to pick that one up if you're interested in that. Uh, but I've just gave you, given you one already this morning, the imminency, uh, the fact that if we go through the tribulation, it's not imminent because it, you can tell exactly when it is, if it's going to be at the end. Number two, let's pretend that we go through the tribulation, we are in it now, right now. How will you pray? What will you pray for? So if you've heard me talk about prayer, you know that one of my things is that we tend to be uh, kind of concerned about our comfort. I just bought a pickup. It's a 2011. I've never bought a four-wheel drive pickup in my entire life. I've always wanted to. I've been saving up for a while. And I figure I better do it pretty quick, uh, quick, otherwise I'll be dead and I won't ever get that goal done. So I, I got this pickup. And I drove it around and tested it out. And I had gone to some dealers and I, uh, a year ago when I started saving. And I told them, this is what I want. I want four-wheel drive. And I would like the, the, the extended cab, you know, the seat in the back. And I would like a pickup that's only had one owner. And I would like it under 100,000 miles. And I would like it under $20,000. And uh, the, uh, every guy said, so, well, Good luck on that one. So finally they called me and said, hey, we got one just exactly what you said, one owner, uh, 89,000 miles, $18,000. I said, is something wrong with it? No, well, the guy that got it, uh, uh, he, it's, he doesn't drive a lot. So it's an 011, it's been around for a while, but it's still under your gold mining. And it doesn't have a lot of the bells and whistles because he didn't like all the bells and whistles. I said, I don't either, that's cool, great, awesome. Ah! So I have me a four-wheel drive pickup. We drove it to Idaho this last week to see my son, Patty, and I, wow, that is so comfortable. It's just like unbelievably comfortable. It's really nice. And we went over there and we stayed in a room they had for us to stay and they had this bed. Wow, that bed was so comfortable. I slept so good. I thought, we got to get a bed like that. That's sort of a selling point, isn't it? Beds, comfortable. Pickup, comfortable. Shoes, comfortable. Coat, comfortable. We're into that. That's our God. So what do we pray for when we pray? We pray for our problems. God, fix them, make them better, make us uh, have a life that's mm, easy. That's not why God gave us prayer. Now, we're in the tribulation, we're pretending, and we can read what the Bible says. We're into the, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. It's all spelled out there, and we're living there. Well, are we going to get together as Christians and say, Lord, would you please stop this tribulation stuff? Would you make it go away? I don't think we're going to do that. Because it's written right there. 
This is what's going to happen. We're in it. So, okay, we're not going to pray that the trumpet judgments go away. We're not going to pray that the bowl judgments don't happen. We're not going to pray that all these lions quit eating people. Uh, what are we going to pray for? Well, I would say, Lord, help. Help me. Help me to run faster than the lions run. Give me strength. Help me to dodge what's ever happening going on. Give me some wisdom. But I for sure, as you read the book of Revelation, what's this all happening for? Why? Well, it's to bring people to God. Good times didn't work, so let's try the bad times. So what we'll pray for is bring people to Jesus, bring people to Jesus, bring people to Jesus. I think that'll be pretty much universal. Number three, during the tribulation, the worst, most oppressive government will exist. How are you going to pray? You take Hitler and you take Mussolini and you take every bad person that's ever lived in the world, roll them into one person and they're not even close as bad as the Antichrist is going to be. He's a person. He's ruling the world. Revelation 13, they worship the dragon, that's the devil, because he gave his authority to the beast. That's a man, a man who is in charge of the world. He rises up and becomes the president of the whole world. And they worship the beast, this man, the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. That's three and a half uh, years. Becomes, that's when he really starts ruling as the second half of the tribulation. He opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. <clears throat> it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe, people, and tongue, and nation was given to him. He is in charge of every nation, every tongue, every government. It was all given to him, and he is one grouchy dude. So, we get together and we're praying. The Antichrist. It's all spelled out. Exactly what he does, when his time ends, how he ends. He fights a battle at the end called the Battle of Armageddon. He leads a big army, the whole world, against Jesus. And he gets poop. The breath of his mouth, Jesus fries him. So we... Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> yeah, I hope all the politicians that exist now that go through the tribulation survive it and are in that same battle. Huh? They all get fried at the same time. My wife says, you shouldn't talk like that. I know, I know. I'll confess it tonight. <laughs> so how are we praying? We're not going to pray for him. We're going to pray for us, and we're going to pray for the world. And we're going to pray that we do something that matters and that people come to Jesus. For during hard times, the number of people who come to Jesus increases dramatically. That's historical fact. My dad, uh, when he had liver cancer, was not uh, expected to live long. I went up and stayed with mom and helped 
nurse him and had some conversations with him that I'd never had before and, and uh, prayed and led him to Christ. And as we were talking about his faith, it, it sounded like he probably made a profession of faith when he was a kid during the, the uh, Depression, uh, Great Depression before the Second World War. And just when he got into the service and the war, got away from it. And, and, uh, but I baptized him about two weeks before he died and, 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 and everything. But he said that during the Depression, everybody was a Christian. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, everybody. Nobody, everybody went to church. He said, I don't know if anybody didn't go to church. I said, well, why did they go to church during the Depression? Well, because there wasn't anything else to do. Nobody had a job. And you were just praying and asking God to work. He said, it was amazing. Churches were full, people going to church. It was great. And then, you know, then it's over, war, and then all the good times came. And ever since then, it's been downhill. Hard times, that's when people come to Jesus. Now, that's kind of happening now. And it, it could get worse. It could get much worse. But what do we pray for? Lord, take away the virus and give us a good government and give us you know we're praying ah make us comfortable and so i think it's just a good thing to say lord i don't know what your plan is i'm just going to trust you and, and instead of praying for my comfort and everybody else's good times what we'll pray for is that we grow and that people come to jesus because it's the perfect environment the perfect environment for that to happen Revelation 7, this is during the tribulation period. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count. That's a lot of people. From every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I said, uh, You know. That's a trick question. I don't know the answer, but you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The number of people that become believers in Jesus during the tribulation are more than can be counted. That's a lot. Why? Whew. I mean, you're going through all that stuff? Number five, life happens in cycles and, or seasons as individuals, also as cultures. We are entering into a time of great harvest. Now, I would write right in the little margin there, potential. Potential. There's a number of things that are required to have a great harvest of souls. One is the events and circumstances God will orchestrate that bring that about. But the church... It's got to do their job. And if we don't, then that potential will go right out the window. It'll all be lost. Because if we're not really concerned about reaching people for Jesus, what we want is a good life. And so we're more concerned about praying for the good life, for comfort, for problems to go away than we are for lost people. John, uh, Joel 3 says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. Put in the sickle, that means do a little bit of harvesting. Do something to bring in the crop. Come, tread for the wine press is full. The vaults overflow for their wickedness is great. What would you say on a, we'll just say it's like a speedometer. Zero to 200. But it's not speed, it's 
wickedness in the world, in our country, in the culture. It's been kind of going up, and it's getting pretty bad. Isaiah says, you know, they're going to call good evil and evil good. I mean, that's, we're right there. And so one of the conditions for the harvest is being ripe is wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, the valley of decision. Multitudes, lots of people in the valley of decision. They're right there. John 4, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? That means <laughs> we got lots of time. Then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they're, they're white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages, is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows, he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are white for harvest right now. Number six, the greatest tool God has given us to reap the harvest is prayer, especially corporate prayer by the church. <clears throat> Somebody asked me the question this morning, do you think it's a requirement that someone is prayed for before they can come to Jesus? I said, I can only give you my opinion because there's no verse that says that. There are lots of verses that would suggest that to be true. My opinion is yes, I believe that to be true. No one comes to faith in Christ unless someone prays for them. And the more people who pray for them, the more it, it will uh, apt to, be, to happen Acts chapter 1, verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem. Jesus went to heaven. And so the ones who saw him, there were 120 people in the group. Uh, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Ten days from the day Jesus rose from the dead until the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came Peter preached and the church began. So they're in this room for 10 days. And uh, with one mind, they were continually devoting themselves uh, to prayer. Somebody said, why, did, why don't we do 10 days instead of five days? We used to. But uh, we all got old. Man, 10 days, that's tough. Let's just make it five. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers, and all this time... And at this time, this is at the end of the ten days, Peter stood up in, in the midst of the brethren, gathering about 120 persons that were together. So here they are, ten days, 120 people, praying with one mind. That means they were praying together, listening to each other, uh, an agreement. Acts 2.14, Peter taking his stand. This is after the end of the ten days. Peter taking his stand with the seven. The eleven raised his voice, declared to them, that is, everybody who had gathered together to hear him preach, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And then moving on to verse 40, with many other words he solemnly testified, kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, they were, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. That's when the church began on the day of Pentecost. Ten days of praying with one mind. Peter stands up and preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get baptized, and the church takes off with a bang. Number seven, a major barrier to our praying effectively is that our praying is convenient, comfortable, and with little sacrifice. That's because that's our God. Oh, God isn't going to ask us to pray, you know, very long. So God uh, basically 
if we could have a conversation with him and say, Lord, you know, exactly what are you looking for in our praying time? Praying a little bit more than five minutes. Uh, I make a big deal out of that. And uh, sometimes some other people, especially when they visit, we do the seminar, pastors will say, you know, I'm not sure I agree with this thing about much prayer, much blessing. I said, so do you think a minute a day works? Well, no, we should pray. You agree with me then. You just don't agree on the time. You think a minute's too short, but you're not really sure that we're into hours and hours. Uh, number seven, did I give you that one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, John 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. What do you think Jesus is saying there? A grain of wheat, if it doesn't fall to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he goes on and said, he who loves his life loses it. Loves his life. Uh, soft beds, comfortable pickups. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He's talking about serving him, doing something that matters. And he's basically talking about the cost. Because if a grain of wheat falls to the ground, that means you die to self and this God of comfort. Then you bear much fruit. Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide. The way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. Gate is wide. The way is broad. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. So Jesus says, hey, got a choice? Comfortable pickup and a nice bed, a bicycle, sleep on the ground, take that one. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of our number of bond slaves of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Our prayers for others make a huge difference, but always laboring earnestly needs to be part of it. Eight, we need to pray for each other that God will put in us a sense of urgency to reach the lost around us. So, when you pray, did you... That was a question when I was in Bible school. The question was, does God expect us to close our eyes when we pray? Did you know that there were like 100 students that took the quiz and like 40 said yes? Is there any place in the Bible that says to close your eyes when you pray? You know where that came from? A mother of eight. <laughs> yeah, if you want to keep your kids from poking and fussing and, uh, during prayer time, have them close their eyes and fold their hands. That way they can't poke each other. Fold your hand, close your eyes. I heard Patty say that a thousand times. Because if you close your eyes, bow your head, you won't be fussing. So... Five fingers, five fingers. I'm going to tell you five things to pray for us, five things to pray for the lost. And you'll remember them because, ah, pray. We need to pray for each other, the first one, that we have a sense of urgency, a sense of concern, a sense of, oh. See, we get easily comfortable with the fact that people are going to hell. We just get used to it. Pretty soon it doesn't really matter. We don't, eh. I mean, you know, somebody's got to go to hell. So it doesn't bother us. There's no sense of, I've got to 
share the gospel. I got to reach people. Um, so God will give that to us, but we have to pray for each other that that happens. Luke 10, 2, he was saying, Jesus was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, lots of lost people everywhere. The laborers are few. That is those who are diligently seeking to save the lost. Not many. Solution. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How does he do that? Pray to God that he would send out laborers into the harvest. What's he do? Send them an email? Hey, get out there. I think he just works in our heart. Gives us a sense of urgency. So if he's going to do that with you, what would prompt him to do that? Well, Jesus gives the solution. Here's the solution to the problem. No laborers, harvest, lots of people. Here's what you do. Pray, beseech the Lord of the harvest that he would compel us, motivate us, stir us, give us a sense of urgency. I pray this way. I say, Lord, would you make Dr. David feel like dirt <laughs> if he doesn't get out and witness? Uh, I pray that for you as well. Number nine, we need to pray for each other that God will give us boldness. <clears throat> the language of the church. Somebody was talking to me about the spiritual gift of tongues. And they said, do, do, do people in your church speak in tongues? I said, well, only thing I've ever heard in our church is clucking. Clucking? Yeah, you know, that's what chickens do. Cluck, 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 cluck. Chickens. You know what a chicken is? Chicken is somebody that's a chicken. Not much boldness. Afraid. Timid. Intimidated. So the church began to get persecuted right at the get-go. And so they have a prayer meeting, Acts 4, 24. When they heard this, that is about the persecution, they got together. There were 5,000 in the prayer meeting, if you read the context. They lifted their voices to God with one accord, that is, they prayed with one, as one big group, listening, agreeing together, <clears throat> and said, Lord, it's you who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. They were saying, you're powerful. That's verse 24. Verse 29, now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants, that's us, may speak your word with all confidence. Now, when the church prays that, that's an instruction to us on what to pray for. Acts 4, 31, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak the word of God with boldness. They began to speak the word of God with boldness. And so they get persecuted by the government, arrested, and so they get together, have a prayer meeting. Lord, we don't want to you know, bail on this because of the persecution, but that's what we are apt to do. So would you help us out? Would you grant us confidence? And he did just exactly that. They began to speak the word of God with boldness after they had prayed. Ephesians 6, 18, we all, uh, with all prayer, all prayer, that's a lot of prayer, and petition, pray at all times, that's a lot of praying. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. All perseverance, that's a lot of prayer. For all the saints, that's us, the whole church. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So Paul gives this instruction. Pray for all the saints. Pray for me that we would make known uh, the gospel with all boldness. Number 10, we need to pray for each other that God will give us opportunities to witness. That's divine appointments. Now, you have to look for them. They're not going to just plop in your lap. But I've had a couple that just happened that way. I was on an airplane one time reading. Uh, I, was on, I had my iPad, uh, and I was 
uh, I think doing scripture typer. And, and when I make a mistake doing the scripture typer, that's where you, I'm memorizing a Bible verse and it has every other word on there and I'm filling in the blanks. When I do a wrong one, it goes beep, beep. And I'm next to this guy in the airplane and I'm thinking, he's, I go beep. And he looks at me and beep. Finally, he says, what, what are you doing anyway? I said, oh, well, it's a deal. It's, I'm, I'm memorizing the Bible. And when I get it wrong, it beeps. He says, you're getting a lot wrong. <laughs> and then he was kind of curious. He says, the Bible, why do you memorize the Bible? I said, well, because it's uh, God's word. It's supernatural. It's truth. It tells me how to live, how to be successful. It gives me wisdom. It tells me how to get to heaven, how to know God. He said, really? All that in the Bible? And so... Uh, it'd be cool if I could say I led him to Jesus right up there on the airplane, but I did get his email, and I communicated with him uh, and uh, found a church in his area, and he went to church. He was from Georgia, I think. I forget now. But he went to the church. He became a believer in Jesus. But he's talking about an opportunity, just my iPad going beep, beep. <laughs> Irritated the heck out of him, I guess, and <laughs> had a great conversation about the Bible. That's what you call an opportunity. They don't come like that very often. You have to look around, pay attention, but they're there every day. Open doors, opportunities if we look for them. Colossians 4, 3, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word. Notice the word praying, praying. That means that's a legitimate prayer request, that God will open up a door. Number 11, we need to pray for each other that God will give us wisdom. So we know exactly what to say. We know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. God will give us that wisdom if we're in the process of witnessing, looking for opportunities. I had uh, one of you, I don't know, remember who it was, called me on the cell phone. Hey, said, so Pastor D, I'm talking to a dude, uh, and he wants to become a Christian. I said, great, lead him to Jesus. I don't know how. Well, are you a Christian? Well, yeah, yeah, you know me, I'm a Christian. I said, well, just tell him how you became a Christian. I mean, it's not rocket science. I'm, I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. I need you to help me. Oh, great. <laughs> Colossians 4, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word that we may for, uh, speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity of the divine appointment. Notice that passage starts with praying for each other, that we would make it clear and that we would have wisdom on how to speak. So how many is that? No, I don't mean the number. I mean, how many things are we praying for each other? We're praying that God would thrust us into the, the harvest. We have a sense of urgency. We're praying for each other that God would give us boldness. We're praying for each other that God would give us divine appointments, open doors. We're praying for each other that God would give us the wisdom to know exactly, say what to exact, to say what to say, know what to say exactly when we ought to say it. Urgency, boldness, opportunity, open door, wisdom. How many is that? That's four. I said I was going to give you five. Okay, we're going to move on to non-Christians and come back to that one. Twelve, we need to pray for lost people that the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. 
that the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. You know the hardest people to lead to Jesus? Ones who don't know they're lost. If they don't know they're lost, it's hard to save them. When I was in college, I got a job selling knives. Did you know that most of the people I tried to sell knives to didn't want knives? They already had knives. You know how hard it is to sell knives to somebody that doesn't want knives, who's already got knives? It's impossible. I couldn't hardly give them away. You know how hard it is to lead someone to Jesus? Why do I need Jesus? The Spirit of God convicts people and makes them feel like dirt if we pray for them. When they're aware of their sin, then all of a sudden they become aware of the fact that they have a problem and that problem needs solved. Uh, nobody comes to Jesus who isn't convicted for their sin and that happens when we pray for them. Uh, John 16, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. So there's a whole lot of people around you that aren't convicted about their sin. Who in the world gets convicted about sin? The ones you pray for. Pray specifically for Joe, for John, for whoever you know that you live next door to, that you work with, that you're related to, and specifically pray, Lord, would you convict them of their sin? Make them feel like dirt. Make them feel like they are the absolute worst sinner that has ever been born. Your spirit can do that. God prays when we pray specifically. That's a prayer that we ought to pray for. 13, we need to pray for lost people that God will draw them. I remember when I became a believer when I was 13 years of age, I was in a Bible camp, summer camp, and they preached it, and I had this inside of me, this, uh, they gave an invitation, you picked up a big pine cone, you put it in the fire, and uh, it was, no, no, I'm not going to, the next day, the same thing, uh, 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 and the next day, and finally, the last day of camp, I couldn't, I, uh, I went forward, picked up the pine cone, in fact, I think I picked up four, threw them all in the fire, it was just this pulling. It was like somebody had a hold of me and dragging me up there. Um, John 6, 44, no one can come to me, Jesus speaking, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him. Who's he going to draw? Is there a big roulette wheel in the sky that he, let's see, John, okay, John gets drawn today. I believe it's those we pray for. 14, we need to pray for the lost people that God will open their spiritual eyes to be able to understand the gospel. When Jesus was here on the planet Earth walking around, he healed blind people. I think it was an illustration for us. That's what he does. People can't understand the gospel. It doesn't make any sense to them. It's sort of like, uh, you know, if you're a scientist and you're trying to explain calculus to somebody, uh, I, way over my head, I'm still on 3 plus 3 equals 7, or 6, or whatever. Uh, I mean, there's just this understanding gap that takes place. They just don't get it. And so we need to pray that they would get it. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose case the God of this world, lest the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it's a supernatural thing. The devil is blinded their spiritual eyes. They can't get it. They will not get it unless 
supernaturally, God removes the blinders and gives them sight so they can see. Acts 16, 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart, opened her heart, her spiritual heart, her eyes to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Why? The people that were there, why? Lydia. Well, it's my humble opinion that somebody prayed for her. 15, we need to pray as the army of God. That's the church that God will bind the devil, his demons, set people free from his control. The devil is the controller of the world. He controls politics. He controls education. He controls industry. He controls uh, the Internet. He controls Facebook. He is running the world. He's the God of this world. He is controlling people. And he won't let people loose. Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. By the way, now, this is Ephesians, Pastor Mike's preaching, and he's not there yet, but book of Ephesians, plural. This passage is all plural. It's all you all, you all, not the individuals. I I hear people regularly talk about putting on the armor of God. That's cool, but this is not written to individuals. It's written to the church. It's what we do, not what you do. It's what we do together. Put on the full armor of God so that you, that's you all. Now, in the Greek language, the plural you and singular you, there's a word that's for both. We have to assume it by context. You all will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our, our, that's not mine, but us together. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you, you all, will be able to resist the devil uh, the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins, your loins, as you all, plural, with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times, all plural. You, you all, with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the same, pray on my behalf. And so all of this praying that has to do with the devil, stand firm against the schemes of the devil, is plural. It's what we do together. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting. That sounds like people we know in our church, huh? With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. That is, you know, all those left liberal people. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. God... God may grant them repentance... God does it. Who does he do it for? Those we pray for. 16, we are the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Together we are powerful on our own. We are chickens. Together our language is charge. Individually our language is muck, 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 muck. Matthew 18, 19, again I say to you that if two of you, even to agree on the earth about anything you may ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So 
the church praying together. The church began with 120 people praying for 10 days. Ephesians 1.20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Jesus raised from the dead, seated him at his right hand, the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're seated with Jesus, Ephesians 2, 6, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's present tense. That doesn't mean we're there physically, but we have the power, the authority of the church uh, gathered in unity to pray, uh, to pray for the world. So how many things are we praying for for each other? I gave you four. How many things are we praying for the lost? Praying that God would convict them of sin, that God would open up their eyes to be able to see. Let's see, that he would set them free. That uh, uh, I think there were four. I lied. So we'll just cut the thumbs off. When you pray, you're going to pray for four things for lost people, four things for church people. Now I've given them all four to you. Next week, sometimes people, you don't know what to pray for. Now you know what to pray for. You pull that card up. You pray for those people on there. You pray that God would convict them of sin. You pray that he would draw them to himself. You pray that he would open their eyes. Pray that he would set them free from the control of the evil one. And then you pray for the person across the room, the person whose card or the name at the top. Lord, would you give them boldness? Would you give them a sense of urgency? Just deliver them from apathy? Would you give them the wisdom, the right words to know what to say, when to say it? Opportunities, divine appointments, would you bring that into their life? Uh, you have all kinds of things to pray for. The lost people and the church, we can pray. And the Bible says specifically to pray for those things, so obviously God will answer those prayer requests. They gathered to pray for boldness, He gave it to them. You pray for divine appointments, you give it to us. Uh, we pray for revival, you bring it. We live in a perfect, perfect storm, as it were. Everything is set up perfectly for revival to happen, but it's church, the church. We're the key, and if we don't do anything, if we're so busy fussing about our own problems, praying for our own comfort, the opportunity for revival is going to come and go. And we'll just be left uh, playing games. But we need to understand that now is the time. Uh, now is the time. Uh, the fields are white for harvest. And uh, God has given us a tool. We need to take advantage of it. And it just happens that we're going to have a five-day prayer event starting tomorrow. So we can be the church and we can pray together and pray for each other and pray for the lost and experience revival. It'll be fun, exciting. I want to be in a revival before Jesus comes. So good time this week to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that we would be those who really, truly desire to see lost people saved. Understand that we do live in a time in which that can happen if, if we work at it, if we serve, if we cooperate with you and what you've done. I pray that we, the church, would be unified, agreeing together, praying together, uh, wanting together to see the lost saved. Use us for your glory in the days ahead. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.